Welcome back to the Limehouse podcast. This is me, your host, William Porteous. I hope you have been well. I hope that whatever you've been up to has been good and joyful. I've had a I've had a reasonably good week. I hope you have had that same experience too. Well, uh, this this week is, is a good one. This episode was a good one. We've got the legend of British blues, John Amor. So some of you may not know who John Amor is straight away. Give him a Google, obviously. To me, he's a, a, an ins- inspirational kind of guy, as you will come to come to hear, come to listen. His story is so unbelievable. What is unbelievable about it is how under the radar he he's he's gone throughout his whole whole life. Now, I would say that's not just him. I would say that's the entire blues genre, specifically modern blues. So. I started going to see uh, the Hoax, which is the band that John is, John was from. Uh, I, I guess that was like the late nineties and to the early noughties, and it, well, no, it would have been yeah, yeah, late nineties. But anyway, and they they were an incredible band. They were really one of the most sensational live acts you could you could watch at the time. They were they were like literally winning every blues award going for like about ten years. It was always the hoax, the hoax, the hoax, the hoax. And they're a wonderful band. You should check them out. They've got a little bit on Spotify. But personally, I wanted to talk to John because I think he's an, he's an amazing musician, but he has got one hell of a story behind it all. I used to go and see the hoax with my friend Greg, who's now living in Bath. And we used to go and see them all the time, like proper fanboys, where everyone was like into Oasis. I don't know, Prodigy or whatever. I was just so into the blues the hoax and we talk a lot about sort of buddy guy and stevie ray vaughan and all that all that kind of lot and and how inspirational those musicians were to me and obviously to john and he's he's um as as you'll find out when we leap into this conversation straight away i find out some pretty intense stuff about him that i was completely unaware of as you will find out is perfectly reasonable that I wouldn't know and it was really intense and it's a, mo- in a really fucking emotional conversation and another one another one one of the reason that you're going to love this is because he's so respectful of this show like he really he's listened to what we do here and what I do and he's really like got the measure of of the tone of the show so it's a really respectful conversation that we have because you know, some of the time I'm asking people onto the show slash begging them to come onto the show and they're like sort of, okay. And they get into it. You can feel some of the interviews, they're warming into it, take 20 minutes sometimes. But this was just straight away from the get-go. And you, you're going to get just such a pure, honest conversation. And I'm telling you, this guy has toured the fucking world and met some of the most amazing musicians and explained some of the most extraordinary encounters uh, and the shit that he's been through the highs and the lows. It's a wonderful conversation. 
And it meant a lot to me just to touch base with him because I think when I was like 18, I put on a uh, charity gig for my mum to try and raise awareness for breast cancer, try and raise some money. And uh, his band played played for me at my local village um, working men's club, which was amazing. Chitting Chitting Fold Club. That that's a that's a little trip down memory lane. But anyway, enough of my yakking. Oh gosh, I am shattered, poopty pooped. I tell you, good lordy. Anyone got the old COVID fucking blues? God, it comes, it comes and goes, doesn't it? Like this sort of, is it ever gonna go? And when it, is it, is it gonna? Is it, when will normality return? And some, some, some part of me wants to be positive. The other part just gets a little bit downhearted about it all. I, I guess the light is coming. The end of the tunnel. I can see the light. Does that mean I'm dying or does it mean hope? I don't know. Either way. But, so what, what, yeah. Coming up um, Sunday, I think I'm going to put out a conversation I had with, this is going to make you laugh, my old headmaster, right? So he was, when I was a really, really wee little lad, um, he was a really inspirational figure to me. I was only at this school for about a year. I had to leave fucking traumatic experiences with um, homesickness but I thought I'd catch up with him because he was such an inspirational guy and oh my god what a story how many times have have, I, have all of us just thought oh do you know I'd love to check in with the most inspirational teacher I've ever ever, ever had and I got I got to do that so I was really really fucking profoundly um, joyful that I was able to reach him for starters and that he was just so into it as well so that will be this, this this Sunday, and I'm sort of putting back the, the book um, stoner thing just for a little bit. So yeah, and if you don't know what I'm talking about with that, that's the book club, okay? Novel idea. It's the book club. It's it's che- it's cheesy, novel idea, but let's go with it. We've got John Williams's stoner that we're all slowly reading through, slowly getting through. So that'll be relatively soon, I reckon. And um, you're gonna you're gonna love that. But um, enough of my yakking. I said that before. I'll say it again. Check out my website, somedaysadiamonds.co.uk. That's got the short film on there. You're going to love it. It's called The Name. It's a bit dark, comedic. It's got an original soundtrack done by moi. That's your actual French. And yeah, fuck it. Go there. Enjoy it. Share, share, the, share everything. Share oxygen, share tiredness. As you can hear, I'm struggling to make any form of sense. But congratulations to Bayern Munich for winning the Bundesliga and um, commiserations for South- to Southampton for getting all relegated before it's even started. You heard it here first. Look after yourselves, okay? It's all coming. It's all coming. John Williams, John Amor. How do you spell John Amor, by the way? That's important for if you're Googling him. It's J-O-N-A-M-O-R. You get into his music. You get into it now. You hear me? It's on Spotify. It's all there. It's loaded up, ready to go. It's fucking awesome, his new music. It's so awesome. My God, he can sing. He he plays. His ability is outrageous. It makes me sick, frankly. But yeah, enjoy it and look after yourself. Spread the love. And I'm so just so sorry for being so tired anyway what are you gonna do you got a kid 
you got a kid, you're going to get tired, you know? I'm just glad that I've got clothes on. Because sometimes you get so tired, you just, can you be bothered? Jesus Christ, I can't believe I just said that. Anyway, um, how are you doing, man? I'm good, yeah. I'm sorry it's been a bit of a runaround. That's um, all right, you, you seem very busy. Well, I'm only busy because I, I, I work nine to five now, so... Yeah. Um, uh, so I've only got my weekends really and my evenings I'm usually exhausted so yeah. um, what's the job I'm a recovery worker uh, at a drug and alcohol um, treatment center oh god I, th- I thought you said re- I thought you meant recovery as in like cars and trucks and shit no yeah like... a lot of people think that when I say that yeah but no yeah. Um, so I sort of fell into it really because I, I went through I went through it with the booze myself and um, oh you did I didn't know that yeah, a couple of years ago. Oh, I'm um, sorry about that, John. Oh, no. It's one of the best things that's ever happened to me, mate, honestly. Or the, just the breakthrough, involved. just not the years yeah. of drinking. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the way forward. But, was um, it, was, that's, just, that's just touring. Is that just touring and just the shit? You needed, like, the stuff in the background? It's so easy to find excuses. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's the lifestyle. It's on tap, especially when you're touring Europe. It's... You know, it's, it's free booze everywhere, but it's, you know, it's my own choices that, that led to it. Yeah, a yeah. bit of stress, but, you know, um, and it, the thing with it, it just, it just gets a grip quite slowly. And it's, it's before you realise it, you've got a problem, you know. Mate, oh man, I fucking had the most, I had a lovely chat with Steve Ferroni and he, I think it's really funny because he's a, he's a fucking you know he's a legend he's he's managed to you you look at his what he who's who's played with and you think wow to have that that roster who you've worked with yeah. and and still and, and and function wow you know alcoholics function like they they're incredibly functional people you know yeah. as as you would well be aware I have history of it in my family and um it's brutal. It's a it's a it's a big one to jump in with, John. But I like I don't mind talking about it. I mean, it's, it's whether you want to talk about it or not. You know, uh, mate, I'll I'll talk about it for hours if you if you let me if you get yeah. me going. But you know, I, I, it, it's the sort of thing that deserves a whole interview in itself, really. But you know, because yeah. because it's such a complex so addiction is so complex and um, isn't it, it affects just... people in different ways. You know. Yeah, no, absolutely. I like because I, 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 I. I'm happy to talk about it. Good, good. I mean, like I, because for me, it's um, I was um, I was following you from when I was on well, 38 now, so I would have been following you about 20 years ago, like your band yeah. hikes, and um, I'm guessing like those were the fucking heydays uh, for you guys. That was that was like, it was. I think it was just after you know your Jules Holland stuff and what have you and big big tours with Buddy Guy and stuff wasn't it and BBT yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no one's questioning your booze intake when you're fucking touring with when you're playing with Buddy Guy or on, on with Jules Holland and fucking BB King. It's just part and parcel, right? Well, well, yeah. I mean, I was really lucky because the hoax that was my first band, and uh, you know I was pretty. I never thought I could be a professional guitar player. You know, I was a bedroom player and I was quite happy with that. And I had no ambition really. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. Didn't start playing until I was 15. And really? uh, yeah, 
and I was just for three three years I was just in my bedroom noodling away playing along to records trying to copy my heroes like Buddy Guy like BB King like Stevie Ray Jimmy Vaughan Clapton Martin Off I could go on and on JJ Kale you know just trying to copy them and I was happy doing that and it wasn't until Rob and Jess Davey sort of pestered me to to go up and jam with them because they lived in the same village yeah um and uh i eventually sort of gave in all right then and um they were so single-minded and so so driven and so ambitious and i kind of went along with it and yeah. uh you know because i wouldn't have had that in me myself i don't think oh really um, you're, you're more sort of let's say fair sort of chill out see what worse see where the wind blows kind of thing yeah kind of and uh, I, mean, I had periods in my life where I'm quite driven. Uh, when the hoax split up uh, in 99, yeah. I felt like I had something to prove. Yeah. And uh, I was really productive then and quite quite driven. I, I started writing my own songs in all, you know, in serious manner and yeah, yeah. Um, put a band together. And I, I felt like I had something to prove, you know. Yeah. But, but generally... I, I don't know whether it's a lack of ambition or lack of drive or maybe even a lack of belief hmm. a lot of the time. And certainly back then, I didn't believe that uh, successful musicians and guitar players could come from a little village called Great Cheverell in, in Wiltshire. You know, <laughs> I, just, it, I had a mental block there, as a lot of people do. Yeah, yeah, of course, um, man. Yeah, like Rock Stadium, like Stadium of Rock is like up there, right? And a uh, little village yeah. in Wiltshire is... Wee. Yeah, and and if you let that mental block get in your way, you won't do anything. And yeah. uh, I got being in the hoax and those early years in the hoax kind of snapped me out of that mentality. And mm. you know, the belief that you can really do anything you want to put your mind to started to set in. You know, yeah. um, but it but it took a while. And uh, like I say, you know, if I hadn't been sort of dragged along by the Davy Brothers in particular. Uh, I don't know what I'd be doing now. Man, they are some very like yeah, go get it, go get them kind of characters, aren't they? They were uh, quite the quite the dynamic duo. Yeah, really driven, really single minded, and yeah. you know, real hard working. So like when did... I should say, I'm talented. Yeah. you know. Yeah. But when I work, having grown up with them and kind of learned along with them, sometimes you lose sight of, of how good they are. You know yeah. what I mean? And, it's, uh, it takes a bit of distance to realise, you know, you look back and you think, man, they, you know, I we can't believe you're. Back. I can't believe you're saying that. It's so bizarre. I just, I look at, uh, having seen, obviously watched you play uh, solo and, 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 and in the hoax. Um, fuck me. Like literally one of the most incredible guitar players I've ever seen in my life. You know, I mean, I'm not fucking blowing smoke up your ass, man, because frankly, I haven't got time for that kind of shit. And I just, <laughs> I, I was listening to um, Humdinger earlier, which is an album you, uh, for the sake of the listeners, I'm, you know, I can I'll do a preamble of the show, but I, just for the sake of it, yeah. I can't put everything in because there's so much of what you've done. But Humdinger is an album you guys brought out, what, 98, 99, was it? That's right, yeah, 98. Yeah, and um, Jesus, man, you can hear the difference between Jesse Davey, the other lead guitar player, and yourself. And it's extraordinary. And then you go and see it live and it was just another thing. That's why you guys, I'm, I am going to ask you, obviously, but 
that's I think for me anyway why you guys were extraordinarily popular within the blues community and elsewhere because of your ability to take the record to another level but the record still be just as like um feverily fucking amazing what where um can you i mean it's really hard to know where to start with the hoax because it's such a thing you know the first thing i'd say about that is that i think humdinger is probably the the closest we got to uh capturing the live atmosphere you know i don't i we because we made our name on the live circuit and everybody enjoyed our live shows and we were well known from an early stage as a really good live band and then the challenge is when you do get to record back in the in the sort of mid 90s it was that was a big deal you know we we were signed uh to east west records and we got a, a budget to go to a lovely studio and record and then the challenge is to capture that's the spirit of the band on record and i don't think the first couple of albums really did that mm. um and then we were kind of we, we were released by the record label in 97 i think might have been late 96 and that would sometimes be the death knell for a lot of bands but we just we just sort of gathered ourselves up and said right well let's do it ourselves because we'd kind of always wanted to do that you know we were really single-minded and we we were a bit suspicious of outsiders and uh you know well we you know you're west country people yeah <laughs> yeah well you know that one i suppose but yeah <laughs> but so when we were left to our own devices and allowed to record the way we wanted to i think it all really came together on on humdinger and we had mark barrett join the band on drums and, and he was just like a perfect fit for us really uh, yeah, and it really yeah. gelled man i just it it's uh I, I think if we just talk for a few more minutes about your live set because and then circle back to the really really early days that'd be quite cool yeah. but um you're yeah i mean the, the memory for a lot of people that tuning into it would would thinking about the hoax or hell even if they haven't heard of, of the band you fucking get on youtube and look it up there's some amazing stuff i mean it was just literally from hugh and you were all individuals so you had hugh which was hugh coltman the yeah. front guy who's an extraordinary singer and extraordinary heart player and then you got jesse davy who's the probably the most re- reclusive kind of quiet guy right outside the band but extraordinarily intense on the stage and yeah, then, absolutely. then you got you in your death stare that you used to do to the audience when you used to do the solo. Yeah, oh yeah, man. When you used to yeah. fucking play the most insane licks, staring into the audience, just eyeballing people, it, was, it looks so fucking cool. And then Robin Davy on bass, pure Five, concentration. Pure concentration, John. Um, so where did you? Where did that? Where did you craft that as a band? That that insane, like insane intensity. I don't think it was craft. I don't think it was something we worked on. I don't think it was something we contrived or planned. It was just what happened when we all got in a room. And I think we all shared the same musical loves, a few few different ones here and there, but there was a kind of middle ground that we all loved, which was initially, I guess, Texas, Texas Blues, and, you know, Fabulous Thunderbirds and Stevie Ray Vaughan, like I said, and, you know that they were real big influences on us, uh, as well as as well as the legends like BB and Buddy and and Albert King, and all those guys. But so that was that was our common ground, and we just we just wanted to 
tear tear every place we played up doing that. And, and it, just, it just came very naturally. It was always 100% with the hopes. It was always balls to the wall. No matter where we were playing, how many were in, it, it, we just we just went for it. And, I, and it was a almost quite primal thing. And, that, and it was also fueled by the fact that we were so young and hungry, you know, and uh, just, just out there to, to show everybody what we could do. But we didn't sit down and say, right, we're going to put on a really energetic live show. And, you know, we just did it. We just did our thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I have this lasting memory of um, coming to Port the Portsmouth Gaiety Bar or whatever it was on a fucking pier in Pom- in Portsmouth. Oh, yeah. South, yeah. South Sea, right? And yeah. are you, you remember Greg, uh, Greg Brooker used to come and me, him I and his do. dad. Yeah. Um, yeah. We used to come and see you guys. And I remember once we came and Hugh was unloading gear out the back of the tour van. And he was like, we, put, we were walking past him or something. And I was, I was too naive and young. Don't touch the guitars. Don't touch the amps. But Hugh was like, do you want to give us a fucking hand or just carry on walking? <laughs> and we were like, uh, uh, um, and I just gingerly wow. took a fucking head of like, I don't think he gave me a head of a fucking amp. That would be insane. But like getting in a guitar case or, or maybe a cymbal, you know, whatever. Yeah. This bag of symbols but you guys were just like that band that you could reach out and touch uh and but but when you got on stage it was just like a different fucking world it was just you know very down to earth normal guys and then you got on stage and just delivered the most incredible live shows and for how how many years were you doing that well okay so we we started in 91 was our first gig 1991 yeah and then right through to 99 which is when we split yeah, and then we got back together for a couple of reunion tours. I think two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, through to kind of twenty fourteen. Yeah, um, off the top of my head, I go a bit. I get a bit hazy then because my. <laughs> but that's pretty good, John. That's pretty good. So like, yeah. let's go. Let's go circle right back. So like you're at school. How old were you when like the blues comes to town? I can't believe I just fucking said that. <laughs> no, it's a good way of putting it. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I guess I would have been, I'd already started playing the guitar, so so 15. And my first guitar hero was, was Mark Knopfler and Dire Straits was my the first band I was like really properly into. Deptford, <laughs> from Deptford, just around the corner from me. Right. Legend. Um, the the um, first couple of albums, first, it was the first three albums die straight so i was attracted to yeah and that that led me kind of back to people like jj kale and clapton and from then from them i discovered the sort of real pure blues and uh i just really dug it straight away i thought it was supremely cool yeah. i i was the only kid in school who liked the blues I was gonna say, dude. Like, I've got, yeah, a, yeah I, I that I've got that story. I, I share that story with you. How, how old yeah. are you? How old am I now? Yeah, uh, 40, 48. Forty-eight. So there's ten years between us. I tell you, when you talk about the blues and your formative years, there could be fifty years between. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's crazy because, like, yeah. I, I used to go to school, talk about I, Led Zeppelin. People would be like, "Who the fuck are Led Zeppelin? What are you talking about? That? Who the fuck are they? Do you know, yeah. Fat Boy Slim, mate. Shut up." And like, yeah. but it's all about JJ Kale. 
man that's what were you getting like pelters for that from kids like what's this amor kid on about no i don't I'm not sure i got pelters i was quite private i didn't i didn't kind of i didn't go around telling everybody they should be into jj kale or slagging off their music tastes or anything like that good, but i did good, get good. quite annoyed when uh you know i think manish boy was featured on a jeans commercial and then everybody went around saying they like the blues you know and uh, that annoyed me yeah i was the same <laughs> Yeah. It's like because I thought it was my thing, you know, and 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 I thought that was what made me a little bit cooler than that kid who was great at football, or you know, you know, you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah. It was it yeah, gave me oh, a thing. Yeah. It's a secret club, man. It's a secret club. It was yeah. like. Uh, I, I think who who was I talking to the other day? Um, it was about yeah Tom Petty, and and I was like saying you like Tom Petty in England back in when I was growing up in the nineties. That was a secret club. Cricket, mm. T- TMS. You love cricket, don't you? absolutely yeah. yeah yeah i was talking with jonathan agnew and, and and i said to him like tms see secret club man it's a secret fucking club you know and the blues was exactly the fucking same and when suddenly led zeppelin started coming around again and people started appreciating it you know and i was banging on about fucking you know listen to that drum track and rock and roll people were like yeah well we should have been listening to will you know <laughs> playgrounds are play, playgrounds a weird thing isn't it it's a very fucking weird thing yeah, and and you're so you're so kind of at that age you're just coming to terms with your own sort of identity and who you are and what what you're made of, and mm. and, and kids are really cruel little fuckers, and uh, you know, but I didn't I was quite popular at school because I could yeah. make people laugh and things like that, so I didn't get stick for my musical tastes. Um, I I don't know why. Do you a Liverpool supporter? I am. Well, you plus you chose a good team as well, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Gee, I'll tell you a quick story about why I support Liverpool because I'm okay. sure there are people out there thinking, "Well, you know, what's he from Devizes? What is he playing Glory Hunter?" <laughs> when I was uh, when I was four years old, my older brother Andrew, just he was eleven, and he decided he was going to write down all the names of all the football uh, teams in the league. I don't know if it was 92 then, but it was something close. Put them all in a in a pot, and he he looked at me very seriously, and he said, "Whichever team you pick out, you have to support for the rest of your life." Oh my! And when I was, when you're four years old, and your older brother says that to you, you know it's a big deal. And uh, I got very lucky pulling out Liverpool because I think they won the European Cup that year and all sorts of things. And Jesus, was it was that? really good until about 1992. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. And now it's glory days, you know. Well, if they finish the fuck, well, it doesn't matter if they finish the Premier League. Jesus H Christ, they've done so well. Fucking hell, what a team! Yeah, it's been a long time coming. Oh go. god, yeah. And there are a couple of Liverpool supporters that actually listen to this show. So I'm fine. I'm fine with talking about Liverpool. Um, but I'm a Southampton supporter, so right. Yeah, we've stolen all your players. Yes, you have, mate. Yes, you have. Welcome yeah. to them. But um, our feeder club. <laughs> yeah yeah oh god anyway um no no so it's, it's just cool man because i i've got um i've got like this i don't know this whole affinity or empathy with people not empathy that's that's very patronizing people that love the blues because basically it's my club but like when when did you know like right it's it's now it's now 15, yeah, sure. But like when Jesse and Robin came knocking on your door, were you always just going to be playing in your in your bedroom or was it like 
actually that rehearsal was pretty damn fucking amazing this oh amazing. okay yeah um well i do remember one rehearsal where it did all sort of come together and i was like actually this is pretty good uh, and Hugh had, Hugh had joined us at that point and was singing. We were just looking for a drummer. And we, I think we might have been playing along to a drum machine. I don't really man, remember. But I do remember it was in Jesse's bedroom, I think. And I was like, actually, yeah, this is all right. But really not until the first gig we did, which was a party for a friend, um, a friend of uh, Rob and Jesse's dad. And uh, they just went crazy for us. And, that, you know, that's really intoxicating and for really from then on it was like i want to do more gigs <laughs> you know cause <laughs> that's, a, yeah. that's a great feeling and we had we'd had such a good time on stage and um so yeah that that's when that's when i wanted to do more gigs i still probably didn't think i could make it make it my job mm. uh and that didn't happen until uh two years later when when we were touring constantly i was trying to hold down a job in uh wine and spirit shop funnily <laughs> enough in Dubai yeah. and uh and I was getting home from gigs at like 5am having to get up at 7.30 to go to work and it, I just couldn't keep doing it and I so I went pro in in 93 93 um so you would have been how old then uh 20 21 22 21 22 yeah 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 god people think like that's old for rock and roll but that is that's super young super young isn't it yeah, and I think it seems super young to me now, that's for sure, at 48. <laughs> um, but we were, we were very young. I mean, Robin was, when we started gigging, Robin was 15, playing in pubs, you know. Um, so, yeah, we were pretty green and naive, and we none of us learnt music kind of formally. Yeah. Uh, and we were just learning together as we went, and... Um, so there's a certain naivety about us, but I think that was part of our charm in a way. And, we, and our fashion sense was just dreadful. I was you know, going to say, we, plenty we, of long baggy jeans, right? Oh, man. Just, <laughs> oh, we, had, we had these suits that, that our mums made for us out of curtain material. <laughs> oh, my God. And, um, you know, we just had no idea, really. Yeah. But, but it sort of worked in a way. You know, we were just slightly freakish. And the fact that we all came from the same village, you know, yeah. it's just for, when I think about it, it's just freaky with a bit of distance now, you know, 20, 30 years on, um, you know, you, you, you have a deeper sense of appreciation really of what a, what a freakish band it was. Mm -hmm. And when I watch footage of us playing live, I can now kind of think, yeah, we were, we were good, you know, but it's taken that distance. Yeah. Because you very rarely feel it at the time. You're, you're always, as an artist, you're always looking forward for the next thing, the next thing, the Absolutely. next thing. Yeah. And I'm, I suppose, you know, as in recovery as you are, you know, that's something that you learn, right? Living in the moment, right? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, I look back to some of the things I got to do with the hugs, like, like touring America in 95. Uh, you know, we were six, seven weeks out there touring coast to coast fuck a duck and i still don't think i really appreciated it i don't think i really appreciated what an experience that was i enjoyed it don't get me wrong i thought it was super cool that we were in america and mm. and doing our thing but we thought we'd be touring america every year you know because we were that sort of cocky and sure of ourselves 
we thought, well, yeah, this is just the first tour of many. As it happened, we never did it again. You know, so it's it's one of those one of those things you look back and you think, did I really really appreciate that? Because I'm pretty sure I'd appreciate it more now. You know? Well, yeah, it's just it's that's the youth is wasted on the wrong people, man. That's the yeah. that's a quote. Well, I saw it in in uh, it's a wonderful life, but I'm sure yeah. it's been used before. But um, it's it's so true. Uh, you've had the success of of many 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 years of being in that band and what have you. I haven't, but I still would love to go back to some of those gigs in my shitty bands and just but the absolute yeah. na- naivety of it all. You know, like it was wonderful. Yeah. But when you're doing when you're doing America for the first time, what's who's that? Was that a support support slot? Is that a headliner? Uh, well, a bit of both. We um, we started off opening shows for Buddy Guy um, yeah. in kind of um, theatres, and they were fantastic shows. Fuck I remember man. the first. I remember the first show. I think it was oh, where was it? Philadelphia or somewhere like that. And we went on, did our thing, went down incredibly well with this with this American audience. You know, it's almost almost kind of standing ovation kind of stuff. It was rapturous, you know. And we came off, yeah, yeah. We, let's see Buddy Guy follow that. <laughs> and of course, we watched Buddy Guy's show and it was just out of this world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that, that was that was the start of it. But then, then we kind of worked our way across the States and played a few club shows ourselves. Yeah. Uh, Places like House of Blues in, in New Orleans and uh, some some cool clubs in Texas. Antones, we played Antones in Texas. Dude, in Austin. this is this uh, is too much. This is too much. My little blues brain is having. Yeah, like I mean, thinking, thinking about it now, and we we were aware of it at the time and how cool it was. But uh, like I say, we we just thought we'd always be doing it. So. Um... You met Buddy Guy, you've toured with him. What the fucking hell is that guy like? Uh, really shy at first. Uh, kept himself to himself. Mm. Friendly, but you know he didn't he didn't hang out. Um, but he was very friendly to us, and he did it. He he did get us up on stage with him in uh, in London, Shepherd's Bush. That was that was when we did the European tour with him. I think it finished in London two nights at Shepherd's Bush Empire. He'd had Clapton then the night before. Uh, and uh, we did the second night as well. And he got us up on stage. And uh, you asked me in the in the lead up to this interview, you asked me for a, certain, a particular moment that I remember. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose I can, this is the one I keep coming back to. Yeah. Uh, being on stage, we're all the whole band up there. He didn't tell us what key he was going to play in. He didn't give us a temper or anything. He just started crying. And uh, we did this kind of blues jam can, thing. Can, we, re- blues can jam. we rewind that just one minute? Because your line went completely mental and then it was fine again. Oh, wow, well, okay. It was literally just when you well, started talking about that moment. So, yeah. Where did you lose me? It was just literally you started talking about the mo the, the moment that you wanted to talk about. Okay, so so we were we were on stage. Buddy invited us on stage to play a song with him. He didn't tell us what key it was going to be in. He didn't give us a tempo or anything. He just started playing, 
and we kind of fell in with him. I think Rob found the key on the bass. And he's like, gee, gee, it's cheap. And um, <laughs> we just sort of started jamming along. And obviously the crowd's loving it and, and everything. And about five minutes into this jam, a uh, buddy guy turned around to me and he just said, play something, man. And, uh, you know, yeah. I, was, I suddenly became the 15 year old me in my bedroom again, thinking what a, what a kind of mythical figure buddy guy was. And there, there I am standing next to him and he's telling me to play guitar uh, with him. You know, and we ended up, we traded licks and you know, it was amazing really. It, you, and, you and when, you, when you ask me for a particular moment, there's so many that come to mind because I've had such a great uh, career in music and I've met some great people and done some really cool things, but that's the one I keep coming back to because it was it's kind of distilled in my memory as a as a real landmark mate moment. you know what, you know what i love about that is like how in in that moment that's you and him together like you're not you're not like fucking asking him a profound question he's giving it back to you or you know yeah. you met kenny dalglish or something and you've asked him a question and he's stopped you oh my wow what a what an answer that's you and him on the same level like completely going for it doing the thing you love well, yeah, I guess so. I, uh, um, yeah, certainly. Yeah, I, I don't know how to describe it, really. It's, you know, he was such a hero. He is such a hero. And yeah. uh, you know, I suddenly find myself in this situation. And I, I, I suppose that's one of the moments where I really did appreciate what a great moment it was, rather than only in retrospect. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, absolutely. I was very aware of, of what a big deal that was. Man, that's beautiful. That's really is beautiful, man. Like, did you? I can imagine you. You're walking off stage like glowing. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing, and, and um, thankfully it was captured. I think it's on YouTube actually. So, oh, really? Um, oh, yeah, man. it was filmed from the wings, uh, somewhat stealthily and surreptitiously, um, but. I'm going to have it's a hunt for that. I'm going to have a yeah, hunt man. for it. You'll see, look out for the moment where he turns around to me and says, play something, man. <laughs> play something, man. I saw, I, saw was, him yeah. I saw him opening for Tom Petty in Madison Square Garden. I couldn't actually believe my luck. I, was, I, I knew he was, going to be, he, was, he was going to be supportive, got the tickets and found out, oh, oh my God, it's going to be fucking Buddy Guy as well. Because it feels like Rain is one of my all-time favorite Buddy Guy um, albums. Oh, I, used yeah. to, I mean, he, he, would have, he, he had that out probably was it was that the album he was touring when you were touring with him i think it was yeah 95 96 man that's like yeah. an emmy that's like one tonys and emmys and everything up the wazoo is amazing yeah yeah it was it, it was a great couple of tours we did with him and, and his band his band and crew were were really great really good to us and uh yeah really memorable times god i bet so like you're you're, you're there you had you've had your breathtaking moment that only people like me can dream of um <laughs> i mean where where do you I, I guess for you that that would it's like 95 96 for me personally you still got so much more to go so much more so much more so many more moments i suppose but like, yeah you come back home after a six-week tour in the uk you're sorry in the us rather and you're like well we'll be back there and soon because and, yeah. and and it doesn't quite happen but you still like you're doing so damn well. Like when did you? Because you're huge. You're huge in Europe as well. When did yeah. that? When did the love in 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 Europe begin for the band? 
Oh, quite early on. We went to Holland. With Belgium and Holland, we went to first first in 90, end of 93, I think, we went to Belgium. And then much more in uh, 94 in Holland. And um, that kind of love affair between us and the Dutch carried on throughout the 90s. You know, um, we loved playing there and the Dutch fans just got us. They, re they really... They really got on board with what we were doing, and we yeah. we had some great times in Holland. Wasn't there a um, festival you did in the middle of a, a lake or something, a river or something? Oh yeah, um, I'm not going to say this right for any, any Dutch people listening. Is Gieton or something? Okay. Gieton, we called it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. We we had to row out to the stage and, uh, with a with our gear and stuff. That was pretty, quite memorable. <laughs> That's insane. You had to ride yeah. out. You had to ride out with like a, a fucking amp worth like three k, a guitar worth like yeah, two k yeah. or whatever. And all the uh, the crowd were all in boats as well uh, around the kind of floating stage. But it made for quite a strange atmosphere, you know. Well, you can't. Um, you can't stand. You can stand up, but you're gonna like fucking run the risk of drowning yourself. Well, exactly. So mm -hmm. uh, it's relatively sedate but it's still it's still quite good fun and quite novel yeah god so like because I, I you've got a set your second album's fantastic but it never really gets any um it's not on uh, well your first two albums aren't even on spotify is that a right. record label thing i don't know oh probably yeah, yeah i mean those the first two albums were on code blue which was part of east west which was yeah. part of warner so yeah. you know there's all sorts of rights involved there yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know. I, I'm sure we're still in debt, probably. <laughs> yeah, because you're. You're. I mean, the albums that you've you've created. You know, it's not like you've done 50 albums or something. So you've got a really cool select amount of albums to choose from. But um, so on on tour and what have you, selling t-shirts, merch, and what have you, that's a big part of it. But like, yeah. what you were literally non-stop, right? How the fuck yeah. do you record an album when you are literally non-stop? You, you've done the most insane amount of gigs. Yeah. Well, uh, that's a good question. That's why a lot of bands find that second album very, very tricky. Uh, it's another cliche, you know, the difficult second album. It's difficult because for the first album, you've spent, in our case, two years writing songs and gigging those songs and drilling those songs. You know them. And you just finally get to the point where you can go into the studio and record them. And then when you have to write when you're on the road uh, and try and fit in studio time, uh, you know, that, that's when it gets a bit tricky. And also it gets tricky if the first album has been reasonably successful, uh, which ours was, and it was received very well. And it's like, right, let's have a, let's have a, a really great second album. And the pressure is on. Um, and particularly back then, the record company were looking for singles, as, as they so often do. And they wanted us to cross over into the mainstream and they wanted us to... Britpop was, was uh, big at the time. We're talking 96, we're talking the peak of Oasis. Yeah. And uh, I remember being in Spain and we were waiting to hear what the record company thought of the initial mixes of the second album and all we heard back was that they thought we should get our, our hair cut like the gallagher's and uh that was pretty depressing Christ and we 
Yeah, that second album, we recorded the entire thing and they didn't like it at all. And they'd spent God knows how much money on studio time and a producer. And it was just scrapped. And uh, in the end, we recorded it pretty much ourselves, actually. Um, which is how we wanted to do that in the first place. Right, uh, yeah. But it's a bit of a hodgepodge of an album, that one. It's, there's some really good tracks on it. I know I know it's a lot of Hoax fans, it's their favourite album. Um, but I find I find it difficult to listen to, probably because I'm influenced by what a nightmare it was to to get out, you know, yeah. to put together and get out there. Yeah, no, I can I can imagine that, man. Like, I can't, I can't quite... I can imagine, and it's obviously well documented, like how blind and how led by the checkbook the old uh or the bottom line record labels are like i get yeah. it but to take a to ask a, a blues band to cut their hair i mean to, to look more like an indie i don't understand yeah. that is, that's insane well but i suppose they saw they saw the fact that we were young they heard the fact that we weren't just playing traditional blues we were mixing it up a bit with kind of rockier stuff um and you know they wanted to build on the success we had we weren't we didn't do ourselves any favors uh by digging our heels in and and saying you know we want to do it our way they wanted us to go back to america and tour with a band called uh collective soul i think who were quite big in the states at the time and they were playing sort of arena sized venues we'd never heard of them yeah we weren't particularly excited by that idea. We just wanted to go back to the States and open for Buddy Guy again and open for the Fabulous Thunderbirds. And, but, you know, looking back, looking back now, I, I don't have regrets, but I do wonder what would have happened if we just towed the line a little bit more. I like the fact that we were strong-minded and we knew what we wanted to do. But at the same time, I, I think there could have been a little more give and take from us. Mm. Um, I just, I just wonder what would have happened, you know, if we'd gone, okay, we'll do, we'll do that arena tour in the, in yeah. the States, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, oh. oh God, yeah, I wonder what would have happened, oh God, Collective Soul, I don't know, I thought you, if, if, if it'd been like, I don't know, the Black Crows or something, maybe, but like, yeah. God, you know, I, I think I remember chatting with you actually about an album of theirs, Lion, uh, that was at the uh, Chiddingfold, um, Chiddingfold Working Men's Club, man, the the legendary yeah, venue. Yeah, I remember it well. God, um, that was quite something. But those guys were phenomenal. But you you spoke a little bit about um, Jimmy Vaughan. I saw him at Dingwalls. He came over not so long ago, like about six or seven months ago. Yeah. Um, on a little a wee tour, and it was spectacular. It really, really was. Like you did you 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 mentioned Texas. Like you went you got to go to the motherland of Texas blues. So yeah. What was that like for you? Oh well, I was. It was. Like, yeah, it's the land of our heroes, and mm. uh, particularly playing Antones, uh, which is just steeped in in history. You know, we heard so many stories about Antones and how that's where, you know, the Vaughan brothers kind of cut their teeth, and that's where the fabulous T Birds would play on a regular basis. And we were, yeah, I mean, that was really quite a thrill for us. Uh, Austin in particular, we really liked. We struggled a bit with places like Houston and Dallas. Mm -hmm. They Back then, they were, I don't know what they're like now, but they were a bit more kind of corporate and oil industry. And uh, But we still had a good time. Mm -hmm. um, but 
I think we I think we did Texas twice on that tour. We kind of we went there quite early on in the tour and then we we went around the west coast and then sort of doubled back into Texas and finished the tour there. So uh Yeah. Yeah, it was a, I mean, a great experience. Yeah, I, I'd, lo- I'd love, oh man, my, 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 my friend went there. My, one of my favourite writers of all time is from Austin. Uh, I just, I'd love to, oh man, I'd just love to take it all in, but it's probably never going to happen, especially not now. We're fucked now. Well, um, yeah, if you had the chance, I'd recommend going to Austin. Yeah. I, mean, it's so kind, you, I don't know what it's like now, but back then it was kind of like a bohemian oasis. Yeah amongst all the oil industry you know it was, yeah. it was interesting i mean do you, do you think like your texas tone is like who who do you say it's because when I, I uh i, I was listening to you guys there's a lot of steve ray vaughan and what have you yeah. you think your tone on the, your guitar is um how do you think you i know you said you're in your bedroom obviously for like years you know developing not necessarily developing um you know uh deliberately developing your own tone it comes i think yes to some people more naturally and more like organically than some people might think. Um, but like, it just cuts through. I fucking, you're playing. It really, really cuts through. It's so fantastic. You're the, the quickest, tallest guitar player I've ever seen in my life. Like, <laughs> it's insane. Like, well, uh, yeah, I mean, you're talking about, you mentioned their heroes like Stevie Ray and Jimmy and, and, one of the biggest things I had to overcome, I think, and I think this is the case for a lot of guitar players, particularly young guitar players. We want to impersonate our heroes. We want to sound like them. You know, we spend a lot of time trying to play like them. And it's quite disappointing when you listen back to yourself and you don't sound like them. And because you just sound like you. Yeah. And once you start to embrace that, I think, you feel a lot more content and satisfied with your playing and not as frustrated. And I think accepting what you're playing is and what you sound like uh, is quite a big part in a musician's development. Any musician, never mind guitar players, I think being yourself and accepting that is, is a big thing. And I think that's when you can truly start to express yourself. And, um, I, I think that's something that's that's come gradually for me over the years. Mm. And my, my playing's changed quite a lot over the years. You know, I have a different kind of approach now uh, to what I had back then. I was Back then I was very much, you know, balls to the wall, full out volume, bending, screeching, yeah. playing fast. Uh, now I think I'll probably look for the melody a little more. You know, well, yeah, maybe. you're... Your solo stuff um, definitely, definitely suggests that, and also like the the more uh, recent solo stuff. I'd say I'm really enjoying it. Like there's a lot of different influence on there as well. You know, I love the use of the Hammond organ as well. It's be- beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Yeah, I love I love playing with keys. Uh, Hammond and piano is just uh, they're great textures to have yeah. uh, on a record, and they're glorious sounds, aren't they? So. And I've, I've had some great players on my, on my last album on uh, Colour in the Sky. Yeah. Uh, the album's called. Uh, had Johnny Henderson. Um, no, I didn't. Scratch that. I had Paddy Milner <laughs> playing piano. Yeah. And um, where, where would we know oh, that, uh, this Paddy Milner from? 
Paddy plays with Tom Jones. Um, oh, but well known on the London scene. Um, and a, uh, he's a great guy and a fantastic piano player, just like bomb. Mm. Uh, and a guy called Bob Fridsma, uh, Dutch Hammond player. Those, so those two guys played on my record and did such a lovely job. And uh, they're, they're, the, they're the elements of the record that I really like tuning into because when I listen to myself singing or playing, I can only hear the, what I could have done better. And that's, that's always the way. In. Always the way, my friend. I know exactly what you're talking about there. Having the little bit of music I have created are exactly the same. Anyone else's influence or a little bit I like, I always focus on that. And so it yeah. tends tend to sort of just get get into that groove and go, oh, that was great. You know, she's, oh, what were you doing? Well, what were you doing that for? Um, but yeah, no, so you were, your first solo record is Amor right and that was back in yeah. um 99 you said no that well the the record came out in 2001 okay uh but I would started writing songs for it in 99 yeah that um, had jump and I, shout on it yeah yeah now yeah, that I can hold my fucking hands up until I ripped off in a blues band I used to be in I was <laughs> like I've got this really cool riff it's like one millimeter different to john aim and greg i was in this band with blues band with greg and he was like yeah we might have a problem with this one i mean it's a fucking belting riff isn't it i think it was great because it was so simple and balls to the world it was brilliant yeah riff. Oh, well thanks man yeah I, I always kind of forget that i always sort of forget about jump and show i think jump and show yeah it's a it's a muddy water sample um, oh really? Oh, of course. It is. Um, but the tracks I remember from that album are the are the ones that I sort of kept playing as the years went on, and that that'd be like twenty four hours, uh, changed, hit so hard. Yeah, yeah, I remember uh, all these. I remember all these. This is so funny. I haven't listened yeah. to this album in a long time, and I fuck it. I know, I know those by you. It's so funny. I was a di- I, it, 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 I was still at that age where I was. I would have. I would have been twenty, and I was just just still in that cusp where you give something to me i love it and it will stay in my memory forever and ever you know great yeah that's that's yeah. A, that's a beautiful thing i mean that's 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 music isn't it that's uh it's of its time when you hear it if you hear an album at the right time in your life it'll stay with you forever yeah absolutely. And then i think there has to there has to be that kind of what's the word i'm looking for synergy or symbiosis or something like that where, something, where something big just yeah yeah um but it's just the right time in your life and it strikes a chord and then that's where it embeds itself quite deeply in the soul yeah absolutely i think um i've got a, a funny moment with um, my dad actually we went to see you guys at the order shot the uh, the order shot west end center and um uh you play <laughs> you were like this is our next song it's called jump and shout <laughs> and my dad goes yeah <laughs> <laughs> claps like mental nobody else everyone else is dead quiet oh it you was know. your dad all right okay yeah my dad god rest his soul and it was fucking hilarious because he, he, he loved it and um it was just so funny you know one of those and sorry i'm getting some mad echo oh wait yeah you're cutting out your funnel yeah da 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 are you back 
yeah i'm back are you back cool i'm back now yeah you just have to wait for it to pass it's like really bad gas um <laughs> but like yeah it's one of those funny moments that really st- I, i've got a terrible memory like i'm blah, 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 but that stuck in my mind so much when i this my dad just embarrassing the shit out of me just like this right just uh, right just, it's so funny but those those are man my my dad died uh like not so long after he, he died when he was 50 when i was 22 Oh man! When we were talking earlier about you being in, um, you know, you're in recovery and everything, that uh, yeah. that's that strikes strikes a chord, a lot. Um, right. Things didn't go so well for the family after that. Um, but we we did. Um, you came down to Chillingfold Club for a charity gig of mine. You do you remember that? I do. Um, yes, I do. Uh, about two thousand and. Three, something like that. Something like that. It was a really, it was a cool, cool. It wasn't like packed out, but it was a cool little, cool little audience. It was to raise charity for breast cancer. Yeah, um, you, had, you had several bands on, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, right? like, yeah, yeah. I think Ainsley. Do, do you remember Ainsley Lister? Is it? Yeah, Ainsley. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think he was playing. Fucking hell, that good old Ainsley. Yeah, there's a little fucking. There was a a group of you guys and. You know, once in a while, he used to used to turn up at Chillingfold, and it was so magical because you'd have like seventy five p pints of Guinness. You'd, yeah. you'd you'd know well in advance that was your night to get shit faced. I'd turn up with like two or three of my mates, maybe my dad. He'd give me a five. I'd go get absolutely wankered. Watch like bands like the Hamsters, Eugene Hideaway Bridges, Calvin Jones, yeah. Calvin Jones or something. Um, yeah, yeah, that was a great. It was a great club. It was, yeah. you know, a, a few really good gigs there. Yeah. I think with that we went there on one of the hoax um, reunion tours. You did, mate. You did, yeah. And um, what's her name open for you? Um, Joe Joanne Shaw Taylor. Joanne Shaw Taylor, who's now she's like yeah. a megastar, isn't she in America or yeah, something? Yeah, done really well, Joe. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased for her. Yeah. It, she, it's so mental. Good. Joe used to go out with her best mate. I went out with her best mate for six months, and Joe and I used to jam together when I was up in Solihull with her. Yeah, and I've been trying to reach her. I just, it's just a fucking brick wall. Yeah, just, like that. yeah, just trying to get hold of her, just to say, "Hey, man, how's it going?" That's all I want to say. But um, yeah, though those were the days, man. Those were the days. you. You must have played some because it was just before kind of like mod, I'd say modernization of venues. But a lot of old venues, you know, they've lost their charm now. Or they've been just face it, they've just been knocked down. Like your where you yeah. played your your last gig, your farewell gig at LA two, that's been knocked down. Yeah. What are like the what are the venues you remember the most, like the best? Well, when you're talking about um, you know, kind of older venues with charm, I remember the Boar Hunt Club uh, near Fairham, uh, oh, which was that. like a. I think it was called the Ponderosa or something, but it was a Bull Hunt Blues Club. And um, it was like a shack. <laughs> uh, and it just had the best guys playing there. Like Kim Wilson played there. We went We went to see Kim Wilson there. We saw Robin Ford there. Uh, we opened for, o- was it Otis Grand? Yeah, I think Otis, it would have been Otis Grand. He was around a lot then. I'm not sure we opened for him then, but we opened for Smoking Joe Quebec there and uh, Walter Trout. And that, that Walter Trout gig was a really big gig for us because that's the first time Walter saw us. And Walter then went to the organisers of Kong Festival, the Great British 
uh, R&B festival in Cologne, which was really big at the time, and told them that they had to book us. You know, mm. it's like, I've seen this great young band. Uh, you've got to get them on the festival. And, and they gave us two two gigs up at up at the Cologne Festival and everything went from there. That was like 93, I think. Gosh, this um, so Walter is actually a big, big piece in our, in our history, Walter Tribe. It's a favor there. He was like a shredding guitar blues player, wasn't he? Yeah, he can be, but he's yeah. pretty soulful, Walter. You know, yeah. he put, he's on the rockier side of things. Yeah. Um, but he, he can play some lovely stuff on the guitar and he's just this incredibly nice guy. Just yeah. very, very generous, you know. And, oh, uh, man. It's like yeah. the, the, you talk about moments, man. That's God. That's that's one of those moments of rock bands, bands in general, dream of, isn't it? By pick, picked up by uh, someone that they've always admired and loved, and then that person go, "Hey, organizers yeah. have said amazing festival. What like that? That's such a that must have been a cool feeling." Yeah, and it kind of set off a, a chain reaction for us. And the next time we played at the Bull Hunts, uh, word had spread about us, and that was when Mike. Vernon came came to see us, uh, record producer um, of John Mayles Blues Breakers, you know, um, uh, Stan Webb's Chicken Shag, I think he did some Fleetwood Mac. Uh, but he owned or was a big part of Code Blue Records and he, he did the whole record producer thing. He came backstage and said, I'm Mike Vernon, I want to sign you up you know <laughs> oh really went, went like that for us and uh we we thought about it mind you we didn't we didn't jump at the chance we we made him wait um yeah yeah but we did eventually sign for him so it's that that's kind of the the pathway of it all really it was a, a real sort of chain reaction word of mouth back then i mean you know that's the difference between then and now it's it was all word of mouth yeah and uh, it spread very quickly about us yeah, no, it's just like, I think when blues is that good, it's a, it's it's hard to, and when music, when music is that good, you know, and mm. it doesn't, it doesn't fucking matter about genre. It's just when every genre, if it's got a, if it's got the crossover point, it just works. Yeah. It's as simple as that. I, it's just yeah. like, it's, it's just, he's lucky, man. He's lucky to have met you guys. It's, it's not the other way around because like you, you were just such a wonderful band, you know, and uh, I don't want to just bang on about the hoax, you know, because I know you have a really, you know, have such a really good, rich form of like songwriting your own, on your own. It's just, um, yeah, it's it's an extraordinary time for you as well, like being so young and just meeting all these Absolutely. people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, it's it's long ago enough now. Like if you if you'd been if we'd done this interview in two thousand and one, <clears throat> and you and you were talking about the hoax all the time, it would have really annoyed me. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, but know, but now yeah. I'll, I'll happily talk about it because you know yeah. I'm I'm proud to have been a part of that band, and yeah. uh, it's it's responsible for so many great experiences in my life, mm. uh, and I wouldn't I wouldn't change any of it. So I'm I'm very happy uh, yeah. to talk about it. Can I, can I ask you like per, like I uh, I don't know a very personal question, but when did it start like? When did you start realizing that you, you had like a problem with the uh, with the booze? Like when it just uh, oh, that's a thing. That is a a question I've been asked a few times. 
as I said to you earlier, it, it kind of creeps up. You know, you notice that you you think you can go a few days without it. Oh, I'll lay off the booze for a couple of weeks. And you do, but you don't really enjoy it very much. And, and you're glad to get back on it. Um, and then you, you start maybe relying on it to get you to sleep or to get you through anxious times or to give you some confidence in social situations. Oh, I better have a drink before this or, you know, just to take the edge off and all that. And do you, do you suffer and, from anxiety then? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's fair to say. Uh, I certainly felt, I felt like booze gave me a bit more confidence. Hmm. Uh, I felt I was a bit more interesting and uh, funnier when I had a drink. And uh, sometimes I was, but uh, <laughs> you know, it just, it just, for, it slowly gets its grip around you. And before you know it, you're kind of out of control with it in the mm. sense that you become preoccupied and each day you're thinking, have I got, have I got nothing to drink today? Uh, have I got enough? Um, and that's when you sort of surrender a bit of power and a bit of control and it's yeah. quite hard to get that back. And mm. I, I functioned for quite a long time. Going back to your original question, uh, I, I think I probably had a problem for about 10 or 12 years, if I'm honest, mm. but it was in varying degrees and, and became more and more severe. Um, and I functioned for a long time, um, whilst still being at the mercy really of, of needing a drink. Mm. Um, and it, I think maybe it was uh, 2017, 2018, where I started letting people down, had no motivation. All I cared about really was whether I had enough to drink that day. And that's, that's a pretty dark place to be. And you lose, you lose sight of what's important. You lose sight of uh, the people around you and you lose, lose all motivation for life. Hmm. And, uh, but in a way, I'm glad I went through it. Um, horrible though it was. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Was it like, but I, um, you know, having come out of it, I feel like I'm in a better place now than I was 10, 15 years ago, let, let alone two years ago. You know? Yeah. So this is relatively recent and like this yeah. breakthrough. Yeah. And are you on the program? You with NAA? Um, no, no. I, um, I went to an organization called Turning Point and, mm. um, I did go to AA meetings. Uh, they didn't really work for me. I have to be honest. It's not for um, everyone. Right. You know what I mean? No, no, it's not. Um, but they do a lot of good work. Um, but I work for turning point now and I'm, I'm a recovery worker now and I, and I that's my, that's my job. So, so life. Wow. So you, you, you went, you went to turning point and then you've become like a mentor just, you've not. Yeah, I did point. initially. Yeah. Yeah. So I went, I went through turning point. I actually ended up in, in hospital. Um, it got that bad. I was, I was, I was 
it's no exaggeration to say that, that you know I might not be around today um, if I hadn't if I hadn't gone into hospital to detox hmm. and um, so I then went back to turning point for kind of aftercare came through that um, maintaining my recovery and they suggested I become a peer mentor Mm. Uh, which I did for the best part of a year. Mm. And uh, then late last year, October, November, a, a job came up, an actual paid job uh, that they told me I should go for. And I gave it a good deal of thought. And I just felt like it was it was right. Um, I, was, uh, I was finding it increasingly hard to, to make money out of music. You know, it's not getting any easier. No, uh, man. No, it's fucking not. No. Be a professional musician. And I realized that, you know, that financial worry was a big part of, you know, the root of my stress. Um, and so, yeah, it just felt right. I felt like doing something different. I felt like a challenge. And because I was sort of sober and clear minded, uh, I had a lot more energy and motivation for it, you know. Yeah, dude, so seriously, it's a it's a fucking beautiful story, genuinely. Because I, I mean, as a as a, you know, a fan of your music uh, for fucking like twenty odd years, um, yeah, that wouldn't have been great. That wouldn't have been great, John Amor. Fucking, you know, tunnel like darkness. Oh God, you yeah. know, like loses his battle with it. That'd be absolutely horrific but it's fucking amazing it's it's really wonderful to hear to know that you are like you're functioning again like you're functioning in terms of like clear clear thought like sober thought like not being that's the thing up. it's it, it's clarity it's yeah. it's clarity of thought and you know life will always throw problems at you because that's what life does you know you'll you'll always have anxiety you'll always have stress and worry uh but if you have to deal with those when you're drunk, you're fighting a losing battle because mm. you can't process it properly. Everything seems daunting. Everything seems too much. Everything seems impossible. Um, but when you have clarity and more energy, you can, you can tackle those difficult emotions and you can process them uh, more effectively. You know, you're just better equipped to deal with what life throws at you like it's it's one of those things with I, i'm thinking about you i'm trying to put myself in your position and it's like you know, a few years ago it's kind of like record you know you've got to that use of that habit record an album go and tour it record an album go yeah. and tour it um got to make as got to you got to make as much money as you can because otherwise you're going to be on the street so your music is keeping you effectively off the street and there's that sort of the catch-22 but also you know the the bitter cycle of of trying to ease the anxiety and the woes yeah and 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 boozing you know um yeah but it, and it, it sounds sound simple but well i i think i think when when music becomes your job your relationship with it changes and there have been times in my life when i've really resented um having to make money from music and doing gigs and tours yeah, I just started to resent it. And what I find now is, because I still gig and I still write songs, I enjoy I enjoy it a lot more. 
um, now that it's not my career and it's not my living. Yeah. You know, that, that's, it's, it's a really enjoyable hobby now. Um, and so my relationship has, has changed back to how it was when I was a kid. Yeah. You know? and, <laughs> so I have a much better life balance now. Yeah. And, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, I'm in a good place and, and having been through that, that horrific time with, with the drink, you know, that, that's why I can honestly say it's one of the best things that could have happened to me. Yeah. Even, even though that it, it left a lot of wreckage because that's what alcoholism does. You know, it's, it's not just you, it affects, it's the people around you mm. and the, the people who love you and the people you love, those relationships get very strained and some of them don't survive. Yeah, and, and so you get a lot of sort of residual guilt and embarrassment and shame and uh, regret. But uh, shame is processing those things, you know. Well, mate, shame. I go. It's so you're so you've only been sober what eighteen months, two years, two years. I don't. Two years, yeah, just over two years. Yeah. So well, well, congratulations, first of all. But um, <clears throat> I suppose the early years are the man. Those are the hard yards, but the your work you're doing is, is so fucking beautiful honestly it's so wonderful that you're doing that john like um i think like john amor of like fucking two 1999 or whatever now it's 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 such a jump it's a wonderful jump man it's, yeah it's, it's a really oh it's, it's crazy i mean uh, you know if i if i allow myself to look back over the last two years and the changes i've made it, it, it kind of blows my mind in a way because if you'd said to me three four five years ago this is what I'd be doing. I laughed at you and gone down the pub. You know, it's, it's just, yeah, it's crazy. But in in that, what's great about life? You know, you just don't know what's what's coming. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm enjoying it. It's good work. It's interesting work. It's challenging. It can be difficult sometimes, um, but it's also really rewarding sometimes. And uh, I feel like I have purpose again. You know, mm. and uh, that's not to say that my music didn't have purpose, but having done it for so long and become quite jaded with it, you know, you, you just lose your spark. Absolutely, and, man. Like, of course you do. Like, that's the most, I, I, most, yeah. You, for you, this is the thing about alcoholism, recovery, uh, music, music. Doing when music becomes a job, it sounds so fucking simple, but when you're in the moment. It's not that simple. It's your life. No. It's your it's your fucking passion. You know, it's something that that you've driven for for years, and and you affect in your you know in your situation. It's how you made a living. It's you know, it's yeah. how you made a, your career, your life. You you made your money. It's like I, I think that another thing I would add to that is that you know when you are uh, so driven with music and obsessed with um, kind of trying to achieve some success with it you do lose a bit of perspective. Hmm. And I think that's one thing I think I've got back is a bit of perspective on life it's and just... being able to count my blessings and be grateful for the life I've had and the life I've got now, particularly yeah. at this time as well with everything that's going on, hmm. you know, I'm in a good position. And so it's really about just enjoying every moment now and just appreciating the here and now. Yeah. I quite, I quite agree. You, have you got your, well, your family, you've got family around you at the moment? Like, um, uh, no, 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 I live on my own. Um, yeah. my, my mum, my mum lives up the road. Yeah. So I'm, I'm delivering shopping to her the weekend and, um, Oh, bless you. Yeah. Yeah. Keeping our social distance, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, 
I, I don't, I'm not really feeling the lockdown too much. I'm going to work every day and I, yeah. I count myself fortunate for that. Yeah. So, cause I'm getting interaction and connection with people that way. And yeah. weekends I'm, I'm keeping very busy making music. I'm writing some stuff at the moment and I've been Sweet. doing a lot of recording. I got involved in a, a lockdown project, if you like, if you want a better expression, uh, with a few, uh, other very cool musicians. Um, and we've, we've made an album together just remotely <laughs> recording in our homes. Uh, it's really cool that the project's called Birdmen, and it's, okay. uh, uh, we've got an album coming out very soon. So that's, wow, really fucking hell, man. That's yeah. amazing. Who's, who's in yeah. this then? Who's in this band? Okay. Well, it was, it was the idea of my good friend, Dave Doherty, uh, who was in a band with me for, for, for many years. He's, he's still in my band when I go out and tour with the band. Does he play um, rhythm? Yeah, he plays rhythm and lead and bass, and he's a very talented guy. Did he have so short hair? Really Sorry? Do you have short hair? Uh, no. No, okay. Never mind. I thought there's a different guy. You had a, you had a rhythm uh, guitarist back in the day, I seem to remember. Yeah, I think you're thinking of. But no, anyway, this was Dave's <laughs> idea. So, yeah. um, you know, to, to, just to try and combat lockdown, because unlike myself... A lot of my musician friends don't have uh, a regular job uh, to to keep their heads above water, you know. So um, they've had this idea of getting these guys together. It's myself, uh, Ian Siegel, who's quite a big name on the on the blues scene. Yeah. Uh, Joel Fisk, who I've done uh, gigs with myself. Uh, Bob Fritzmeier, who I mentioned. Uh, Johnny Henderson, a guy called Rob Barry, uh, playing bass. Um, and we, so we we've known each other for years. Uh, yeah. Giles King on harmonica. I nearly forgot okay. Giles. Sorry, Giles. Um, so that that project just came together. We just record recorded. Dave put some ideas out. Uh, we used Dropbox to just get ideas up there and a platform for us to dip into. And we we recorded our parts in our homes, and it's all come together. And Dave has mixed it, and uh, that's amazing. It sounds great. That's yeah. really great. That's fucking amazing. I mean, it's like, I think I think we're fast going to like, okay, not everyone can do this, but um, home studios, you know, you buy a half decent mic and a little bit of like a few egg boxes, decent yeah. amp, you just, just, and then you just MP3 it to your mate. It's like, yeah. where you go? You know, just put it... Just, obviously, it's not the same as being in a record, you know, you get a different feel. Perhaps, well, in, in but, many ways, in many ways, it's a bit better. It, I... You know, lockdown, what is it they say that um, necessity is the mother of invention, right? So lockdown has really tested that uh, that motto, if you like. Big time. And, and what, what you're finding now is that, you know, all these live streams that people are doing instead of gigs. You know, a lot, a lot of guys are going to keep that going even when lockdown is over because it's actually a really cool medium, you know, and it's much more personal. Yeah. And I think the days, maybe the days of sort of slick production and and perpetuating the myth of success, maybe those days are, are coming to an end. And and people are realizing that actually people like to see you in your home, being you, doing what you do as honestly as possible. That's what people get off on. Authenticity, my friend. You know it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
like people are fucking uh, yeah all over that shit and 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 why not like we we want the real thing we want the real deal i think that's what yeah i think people want to want to see you you know and, and what what you're all about uh, rather than like i say perpetuating the myth that you're highly successful and you've got this really slick video and you know yeah, I, yeah. It's nonsense. <laughs> it's, it is. It's, it's complete bullshit. It's like you're just going home and fucking stroking your cat, man. Who are you fucking? <laughs> who are you kidding? You know, it's like, God, oh, jeez, man. I just, yeah. I was gonna, I was, I was gonna be cheeky and ask if you could get your old um, guitar out and give us some blues licks, but I think one would probably crack up and go distorted and make it make it noise, and would. and two, you're probably too knackered anyway, so. <laughs> I'm pretty tired. Uh, yeah. yeah. God. Look I've at those. A oh, yeah. Slightly out of tune. Sounds great. Play guitar a bit. Man, that's that's great. God, just shown shown your skills, my friend. No warming up on acoustic guitar, smashing it out. Just like the old days, brother. <laughs> oh man. Well look, um we should probably call it a day, but oh god, so good to talk to you, John. I've got to say, you and know you, I, man. Sorry? I said and you, man. Good. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's weird to I don't know. You'd have like the years of like uh, following you around, obviously, and then years of not. Um, and you've you've been doing stuff, you know. And like, I'm really, I don't obviously know you that well, yeah. but I am very proud of you and how far you've come over the last two, three years. It sounds like you've really I, done some most amazing work, you know. Yeah, thank. I appreciate that. It's uh, I don't know. You just do the next right thing, don't you? That's that's. <laughs> This is true. That's true. what you can do, isn't it? So yeah, I'm yeah. I'm I'm happy and I'm in a good place at the moment. And, yeah, uh, enjoying life. Make sure you pull your pants down when you're going to have a shit. That's that's what yes, I say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, man, look, you have a great rest of your evening and chill out as much as you can. <laughs> I will, and you will. It's good to talk to you. Thanks for this. I appreciate it. No worries, buddy. See ya. Yeah, man. Take it easy. Bye, bye. Bye.